Hey everyone, I'm Ryan Calaman. And I'm Amy Gosha. Welcome to The Divorce at Altitude, a podcast on Colorado family law. Divorce is not easy. It really sucks. Trust me, I know. Besides being an experienced divorce attorney, I'm also a divorce client. Whether you are someone considering divorce or a fellow family law attorney, listen in for weekly tips and insight into topics related to divorce, co-parenting, and separation in Colorado. Welcome back to another episode of Divorce Altitude. This is Ryan Calamea. We are joined by a guest, Tracy Malone, who we've had on the show before in terms of talking about narcissism and divorce. She is back. We're going to be talking in a two-part series. The first is going to be focused on the top three tips for dealing with a narcissist in a divorce. And we're really going to be focusing on before, during, and after. We will also have a companion sister episode that goes along with that on how to stay safe when leaving an abusive spouse. But Tracy, welcome to the show. For listeners that haven't heard your other episode, can you explain a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Thank you for having me so much. I love being with you. I am a divorce coach for people going through a narcissistic divorce. And I've written a book called Divorcing Your Narcissist. You can't make this shit up. And I've just been working with people from all over the world to help them with this kind of situation and divorcing someone that is very high conflict. I've seen these cases from a legal perspective and have talked to clients about narcissism. And I usually get involved right before someone files, but uh, let's get into it. And the first kind of tip or phase that we're here to talk about is before divorce. So can you tell our listeners a little bit more about what your observations and tip is and and what people should be thinking about before a divorce when a narcissist is involved? Mm -hmm, Sure. Thank you. The important part is many people don't know that they've been with a narcissist until they file for divorce. That's when everything sort of swaps and changes out. So if you do know, then you're a little bit more prepared. If you are just sort of blindsided and maybe they asked for the divorce or maybe it just kind of evolved that things are getting very strange and you're starting to look things up on Google and you'll find the answer in the narcissist stuff. So it's important for people to know this because when you are divorcing a narcissist, you are not divorcing the person that you've been married to. There's there's a a switch that flips, which puts them into black and white thinking and Everything that you thought you had gets erased. Your lives together. The possessions are your children and they're going to fight for them even if they don't want them simply because you know them. So it is important to understand that from that point of it being completely different than what you expected because you thought you knew who you were married to, it's a blindsided kind of thing because you're not going to expect the things that happen in divorce because you've heard of all your friends who've had normal divorces, right? This is above, a, a notch or two above that people can't expect these things because they're the unexpected. They're on the crazy scale. So if you're talking about the very beginning of it, there's two schools, there's two camps, right? There's the person, like I just said, that got blindsided, didn't have any time to prepare. It's really hard to go, here's the tips before. Well, you've got to do the research. You've got to educate yourself. If it was your decision, I call it like the dumpy and the dumper. (laughs) I have that in my book that way. It's like if you are the one that's dumping them and going, I'm out of here, you have more time to plan. You have more time to get your ducks in a row 
versus the one who is just slammed. I don't even, I didn't even know this was happening. So knowing that the first thing is if it's there, if it's, if it's their idea, you have to realize that there'll be gaslighting involved. Always the first thing out of the box, right? Gaslighting is intended to make you be confused, to put fear in your heart. Gaslighting and divorce with a narcissist is you're going to get nothing. There is nothing. You'll never see the kids. You are a stay-at-home mom and you have no rights. The important part here is to learn your rights. See your lawyer. Ask them, is it true that I have no rights? I've been married for 30 years and yes, I was a stay-at-home mom. Ask the lawyer, know your rights, because then the gaslighting doesn't put that fear in your heart, right? And so the other part is to, to learn to manage your expectations. Again, talking to their friends who've had normal divorces. Oh, it'll be done in six months. It'll be all great. But if you don't learn to understand that divorce with a narcissist, I've never seen it less than a year. You might have. I have never. I've seen them more into the four, five, six-year range if they are really, you know, pretty malignant and willing to fight on things that don't need to be fought for. So managing your expectations is important because if you think it's going to be a slam dunk and you'll be in and out in just a few months, you're not going to fight for temporary orders. You're not going to get support. You're not going to get status quo. They still keep paying the mortgage, right? So if you can understand that those things should get into the hopper quickly because, you know, the court system is going to delay them anyway. But if you hold on to the hope that it's going to be done and over, you're going to be in trouble because your your expectations are not going to be there for you. And so, you know, again, all of the things that happen in a divorce with a narcissist are things that we can expect like stonewalling and obstruction of justice and, you know, hiding assets and lying and not presenting the papers. So those tend to slow things down. The third tip on that is to build a support team. You don't realize what's going to happen. They always go for the lawyer, maybe a mediator, maybe a financial assets evaluator. But your mental health is what's really on trial here. You have to stay aware. You have to know what's going on. So working with a therapist or a coach like me is going to help you stay grounded during this time. Because if you are on a roller coaster, you're not going to be re able to react. You're going to be reactionary to everything and you're not going to be able to plan and get the papers and get the things because that's how they want you to be. They want to knock you off so that you don't take care of everything. Tracy, in my observation is that those tips are helpful for anyone going or looking at going through divorce, educating yourself, managing your expectations, getting mental health treatment. I tell every client you need to seek a therapist or a counselor if you don't have one because we're stuck. Just is there's no way. I know you've gone through it. We'll kind of tie it all in here soon. But managing expectations, people think that it's really should be just nice and easy. There's the kind of the oversimplifiers. And then the just educating yourself. I mean, my firm, we this podcast is part of our effort to provide zero cost education. But I think it is magnified. 10x when you are dealing with a narcissist. Those issues and those tips are of critical importance because if you miss one of those tips, then you're going to get waylaid and it's going to be a much more difficult process than people are expecting. But Tracy, I'm curious, before we move on to kind of the, the tips that you have when you're in a divorce, 
What would you say to someone, we have Erica, Melanie Wolf, our hypothetical divorce clients. Let's say that Melanie comes to you, Tracy, and says, Eric is a narcissist. I know. And you just go through, it's going to take four or five years. You're going to be gaslit. And what would you say, Tracy, if she says, it's just not worth it to me. I, I'm just going to stay with him because I can't go through a divorce with a narcissist. What, what's your response or, or guidance for Melanie in that situation when she just can't bring herself to actually file? Right. And, and it will depend on every single client, right? Sometimes it's they don't have the money to have a battle like that and that fear. And the other part is if I just walk away from everything and I want that kind of divorce, just take it all. I don't want anything. And that's also an extremely dangerous sort of thing because you think if you walk away from everything that you will not have that continued battle. But that isn't true. And so it comes in different flavors to where she is, but it's it's pay now or pay later. And I'm not saying on the on the actual costs. It's your life ten years from now will still be as miserable, if not worse. And then one day after you've stuck it out and you stayed for the kids and you tried as hard as you could, they get a new girlfriend or another boyfriend and they just say adios. And you've put in all this time to try to make it work. Not gonna get better. That's the bottom line. If we have identified these kinds of behaviors, whether we call them a narcissist or we just go, they're gaslighting me, they're doing this A, B, and C behaviors, it's not going to get better. And if you want to come back and see me in 10 years, you know, that's what's going to happen. It's inevitable. So it's either get the courage and I would help them muster that. I would help them ease their fears. And not all of them are five years long. You and I both know that. They could certainly be done in a year, depending on how cooperative the other partner is. So I would just let them let their imagination go to the five-year mark and go, I can't handle it. I can't do it. I'd be like, all right, let's just take one baby step at a time. Are you miserable? Then we have to get you out of here because it's not going to get better. And some people stay for the kids. And that's the other reason that it's kind of dangerous. We think we're doing the right thing for our kids. But then our kids either turn into little narcissists or they are abused by the narcissist, right? And then they end up with the same wound of, I'm not good enough for the rest of their life. So in many ways, you are saving them from a life that is watching that and having them think that that's a normal relationship. Well, you covered issues in terms of dealing with a divorce, but walk us through if Eric or Melanie is in a divorce with a narcissist. What are the things that they should keep in mind when they're in the divorce process? So the tips I have here is tip number one, watch out for the Trojan horse. Narcissists often throw down, if you're like, oh, come on, can we make it work? This is the, the person that's getting dumped. So they're like fighting for, no, let's save it. Let's make it work, right? And if they agree to go to counseling and you put the divorce on hold, I can guarantee you they have agreed to go to counseling so that they can get their ducks in a row, hide assets, find things that they can do to destruct, you know, destruct the possibility of it. But the reality is it's still going to happen. You fell for the horse, you got delayed, and all of their money has been hidden and the ducks in the row have been out there and it's going to be harder. So, you know, while you are dining on false hope that we might get back together, we're in counseling it doesn't do you any good. My ex had us do that for a therapy day. We, have, we hired the therapist for an entire day 
And he was like, oh, we're going to make it work. Don't worry. I'm back. I'm here. Yes. And it was all a cover. And he actually used it to get into my new apartment at that time and then take an inventory of what came from the house that I got rid of and what didn't. And then came into court with like a documented list going, I want half the money for all this stuff that she had to give away because he got into my house and he used the cloak of the, the therapy because I believed. I'm like, oh, we're working on it a whole day. How nice. I really believed it, but it was all an act. And he had no intention of stopping ball from rolling. He just wanted intel. And he wanted to sort of make me feel like I was safe when it was a lot easier to pull the rug out under me when I found out I wasn't. So that's one of them. I want people to understand that the amount of drama, I'll use the word drama, that you see in a narcissistic divorce is a reflection of what it's going to be in co-parenting land. And that's what the second tip during this is to make sure that your lawyer makes a really tight parenting plan, makes a really tight consequence ridden. If you don't give me the retirement money you're going to do, then we, you know, something can be done. Consequences if they don't do it. Deadlines that they must do it by. Because if you have a deadline that by January 1st, he's got to turn over the money and Eric doesn't turn over the money. Now it's contempt of court because that date has passed. If it's arbitrary, okay, sell the rental house and give her $300,000, there is no deadline. There is no fault. There is a really hard time to chase them for it. So making sure that you prepare for that because it is going to be your future. If you're with a narcissist, co-parenting with them is twice as hellish as it is going through the divorce. And depending on how young your children are, you know, if you have 17-year-old children, you're in the bucket for a couple more years. If you have three-year-old children, you better make sure that you know what the rules are and make sure that they have clear orders, if you would, to follow them. That's our second tip. My third tip during it is about mediation. And when I have people come to me and say, we just spent a $40,000 mediation day and nothing was decided, I saw your eyes widen. What? <laughs> I've had it happen many times because it's, it's, it's a long day, however many lawyers and mediators you're paying. If you go to mediation without some kind of offer on the table, then you are spending your eight hours making the offer, right? If you know a baseline and you could go up or down, also knowing what you want and what you don't want. People walk into mediation, again, if you don't have the correct numbers, you don't have everything fully disclosed, you're walking into a mousetrap where they can say, there's no money, see? Here's one statement. I've got the rest hiding in Switzerland, but here's the one statement and I'll give you your percentage, right? So it's really making sure you know all of that stuff. And if you don't have wiggle room when you go into mediation, that's important too, because again, negotiation is ask for more, settle for what you want. So people need to understand that about mediation. This episode is brought to you by our law firm, Kalamea Gosha. Amy and I describe our law firm as an innovative and ambitious trial team that pushes the boundaries to discover new frontiers in family law, personal injuries, and criminal defense in Colorado. We currently have offices in Aspen, Glenwood Springs, Edwards, Denver, and Boulder. If you want to find out more, visit our website, kalamea.law. Now to the show. Yeah, for listeners out there, and they're likely listening to this, it will be on YouTube, but one of the references that I make for mediation and preparing clients is 
the haggle, which is Monty Python. And, and there's this famous skit. In essence, it's John Cleese, the character goes up into like kind of an Arabian bizarre like marketplace. And he says, oh, I'll, t- I'll take that basket from you. And he goes like, no, no, that's not what we do. We, you got to give me a price. And then I say, oh, that's so insulting. And then I come up with a price that's offensive to you. And it's a back and forth. And, you know, to prepare people, kind of what you were talking about, the expectations. I mean, that is often how mediation goes. But I completely agree. I had a mediation last week. And there is nothing more frustrating than having a mediation where the other side's just trying to figure out what their position is. I mean, for me, I can only speak for my firm and me is that we will come up with a game plan in advance. We'll advise the client. This is what mediation is and prepare them and, but really come up with a game plan that we're starting at X, we're going to make, you know, move and do this and do that. And there's going to be compromise. And, but to really draw the line in the sand and say, we're not going to go beyond this. This is our bottom line and where that is and that how much movement is really going to depend on the, the issues, the facts, but especially when you are in a divorce involving a narcissist, that can be very problematic. Everything is going to need to be their idea. So it's a kind of a brainstorm session of how do we get them to make the offer that we are willing to accept, but it, it's just their idea. And that is one of the, the negotiating aspects of dealing with a narcissist, especially when it's in mediation. Yeah, I love that you are preparing your clients. I wish more did. I had a wonderful lawyer, but I was not prepared. We had eight hours and I could see them in the other room. Him and his mommy and daddy um, were in the other room and all they did was shake their head, cross their arms. No, they came back. The only response we got was, you're not getting one red penny is what they said. And again, eight hours, not a single thing happened. We ended up with seven trials after that. It was a ridiculous divorce, but I should have seen the reflection on the wall from that mediation where they weren't going to budge. They were going to lie. They were going to make false allegations and build something. And that's what people have to realize. There's a little mud slinging in mediation, but not as much as you would if you got into court. And so these are just your expectations. I'm glad that you guys are helping people with that. Well, let's get into the post real. Let's assume you settle at mediation or you go to trial. What are the tips or things, Tracy, that people should be aware of after a divorce? Sure. So the first thing is learning to speak narc speak. And narc speak is is learning because communication is going to be terrible, if, especially if you've got children. If you're lucky like me where you never see them again, that's a wonderful thing. But most of the time there are children involved. And so, you know, communication is going to be hard. So you are going to have to do the work. They're not going to change. They're going to continue to harass. They're going to continue to blame. They're going to continue to get on your case as often as they can. And so if you learn different communication skills, and there's a lot of amazing things out there. I pulled, we've heard of BIS for people. Oh, yeah. Brief, informative, firm, and friendly by my friend, Bill Eddy. And that particular one is a green version. There's two. There's a red and a green And that one is for co-parenting, right? So it's how do you handle them in an email? How do you handle them in a text? How do you do it on a parenting app? Got a lot of information, but don't stop there. Like just because you read one book and the the communication isn't working yet, it's a spectrum, right? Yours might relate to something else. I have this other book called Magic Words by my friend Lindsay Ellison, 
And it's just the teeniest little book, but it's got these phrases that kind of, I'll see, make you want to throw up in your mouth. They make you just so like, ooh, that feels so icky. That's, I don't, that's ingenuous, right? I trust you, but you don't want to say that. But what you are doing is soothing the savage beast ego of a narcissist. They want to be trusted. They want to be seen. They want to be heard. And so if you kind of incorporate some of that magic stuff into your communication, it will change. The last thing I have on here is, I know we're on the podcast, but Yellow Rock Canned Responses from One Mom's Babble. You can go and download it. It's simple little phrases that you can use, especially in the parroting apps. In text, just you don't have to answer everything. So learning how to speak is going to prevent you from being triggered every single day. The next thing is learning to let go, right? There's so much that you are going to carry. How could they do that? Oh my gosh, who does that to their children? You're just going to be sitting there holding all this stuff and you will not be able to move on. Your kids are going to struggle because you can't let things go. And it's not like let it go and you're not singing a song, right? It is accepting what they're doing, but not giving it the emotional energy to hold it and and just going, okay, they pissed me off. I'll hold it for five minutes and then I'm not going to hold on to that. They still did it and it still wasn't nice. But I don't have to ruin the next six hours of my day holding on to that anger because they've triggered me. And then the last one is learning to trust again. So many people after divorce and after betrayal, which is always part of the divorce process, is that all the air is out of your sails and you just feel like I'll never trust again. And the important part is that you will trust again and you probably do trust. You probably trust your children. You might trust your family. You might trust the cleaning ladies. You might trust your doctor. So walking around going, I'll never trust again, is something that you're doing to yourself. It's negative self-talk. But if you're thinking about, I'll trust again, like I'll never trust another person to be married to them or be in a relationship. You know what? If you learn to trust yourself, that if I see these really bad behaviors with another potential partner, that I trust myself that I will not let them stay for 20 years. I will trust myself that if I see A, B, and C, they're out of here, Right. So learning to trust yourself is core. And without that, you're, you're going to not be able to trust someone. But don't jump to the, oh my God, I'll never trust again. I had this lesson last night in one of my groups. And one girl was like, I'll never trust again. And I was like, you know what? If we jump to that, we're missing all the steps. I will trust again, but I'm going to learn how to educate myself. I'm going to learn how to do this. I will learn here. I will trust that I will get it when it's time. Don't rush new things. But know that if you have a, a sequence of what you're going to do to learn to trust someone again, and I call it a trust policy, someone breaks your trust, how many times are you going to let them do that? That's the courage. Kick them out of your life, no matter how good they look on paper or how long you've been. But I've invested six months. I'm like, six months or 60 years? Which one do you prefer for torture? You know, you just have to pick and go, I'm not doing this again. And there's too many flags. So those are the three tips for after. Well, I really appreciate the tips that you're sharing with our listeners, Tracy. I, I guess there's a couple responses in that. The first is that one of the kind of most rewarding, my favorite parts of my job in, in representing people is just to really see that, that rebirth, the opportunity for someone to, into the obs observation by me, to see someone when they come and oftentimes they are beaten down and they have, you know, convinced themselves that they're not worth 
anything. And I tell them you're worth what you tolerate. And they've kind of admitted that they're not being treated. They're unwilling to tolerate the gaslighting, the abuse, or, and it doesn't necessarily have to be that, but being unhappy, they're just not going to tolerate that in their, in their lives. And to really see someone, even they can go through hell in a divorce, but to see them a year or two afterwards and to just see the confidence and, and what you said in terms of trusting yourself. I also think that in terms of the communication after a divorce, there's this kind of window up of opportunity that I see where people are sorting the dust is up in the air and we're really kind of seeing how things are going to shake out after the divorce. And there's this training, both people are training and feeling out. And especially when you're dealing with a, a narcissist, that person's going to push the envelope and see how much they can get away with. And if Melanie Wolf, she puts up her hand and says, Eric, I'm not tolerating this anymore. And he, she communicates with him and Biff, I love that. It's something that we recommend to our clients, but there's a particular kind of cadence and, and way to communicate. And after a certain time, Melanie, you know, if she follows those rules and the magic words and all of those things, then she's established a relationship with Eric where he understands that he can't engage in certain type of behavior and he's going to take his kind of energy and his narcissistic kind of focused elsewhere. You mentioned something and, and if I can add one more after thing, because you just like triggered me to think of it, it's learning to manage your triggers because Eric is going to keep on poking you until mm -hmm. you don't allow it, which is what you said, but you don't allow it because you know it's a trigger. You know how to manage your triggers. You know what the feelings are when he does it. And you can start to take out some of the electric energy from that trigger by having tools in your tool belt. That's a really helpful thing to also make sure that you do that work. Because if you do, then they've got no power here. A lot for people to, to consider. Easier said than done when you are in the thick of it. But for anyone that is dealing with a narcissist in their relationship, in their marriage, or they're going through a divorce, or even afterwards, there's hopefully a nugget of, of information here. And Tracy, really appreciate the work that you're doing and your time and sharing your insight on how to deal with a divorce and before and after with a narcissist. So thanks. We'll have links to your podcast in the show notes. I know you have a YouTube channel that people should check out. We'll have information on that. And then, you know, people should also, if you like what you heard from Tracy, there are other episodes in which she is a guest. We'll have links to those in the show notes. Until next time, thanks for joining us on Divorce at Altitude. Hey everyone, this is Ryan again. Thank you for joining us on Divorce at Altitude. If you found our tips, insight, or discussion helpful, please tell a friend about this podcast. For show notes, additional resources, or links mentioned on today's episode, visit divorceataltitude.com. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen in. Many of our episodes are also posted on YouTube. You can also find Amy and me at Kalamea.law or 970-315-2365. That's K-A-L-A-M-A-Y-A dot law.